0: Let's begin by turning to Exodus 34, Exodus chapter 34. In Exodus 34 and verse 18, we begin to read about the holy days. And in verse 21, we read, "...six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest." And you shall observe the feast of weeks, of the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of in gathering at the year's end. Three times in the year all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. So we read when we read about the holy days here, when we keep God's feast days, we're reminded that we are the first fruits a part of those who were called into the truth during this age with all the responsibilities and obligations that this includes. There are other agricultural analogies used in the Bible. Let's go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And we read in verse 1, He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch, and is withered, and they gather them, and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. So, here again, we read of another agricultural analogy, and we read about God's work of refining us, molding us, shaping us, and how it's compared to the the pruning of of a vine. And so... Whether it's first fruits or the branches on a vine, growth is important. But there are so many things that can interfere with growth. The soil can be too too wet, on the one hand, or it can be too dry. The soil can be too acidic or to alkaline Uh, insects can become a problem with with growth for fruit trees or vines or or plants in a garden the whole point of having a garden is to have fruit but if you have a garden or if you have vines or a fruit tree you surely experience the fact that sometimes it seems like it's a never-ending battle with factors that prevent growth So with that in mind, and with a thought toward the agricultural analogies in the Bible, we're we're led to a question then. What are the conditions that will inhibit our ability to bear fruit? What are the conditions that will prevent our growing to our full potential? What are the conditions that will prevent growth? And that's the title of the sermon then, Conditions That Prevent Growth. And, and I'd like to address this question today and identify three conditions that prevent growth. And, and the question is important. Are we just hanging on or are we flourishing? Are we growing? Are we producing the fruit of God's Spirit? Or are we simply just like a pear or an apple tree or a, a vine that has been planted and, and nurtured but doesn't really thrive? It doesn't really produce fruit. It doesn't really grow. It simply just barely hangs on, and then even begins to wither. So we'll address three conditions that prevent growth today. Let's begin in Numbers chapter 16. <clears throat> Numbers chapter 16, where we read about a man named Korah, and then Dathan and Abiram verse 1 of numbers chapter 16 Now Korah the son of Itzar, the son of Kohath the son of Levi with Dathan and Abiram the sons of Eliab and On An, the son of Pe- son of Peleth sons of Reuben took men And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So we see that they thought they saw a problem. But but the truth is that they actually didn't understand. They didn't grasp reality. And and this is point number one. The first condition that prevents growth is lack of understanding. Without understanding comes confusion. Without understanding comes a a skewed sense of reality. And and the irony here is that they thought they did understand. So, So in other words... In their minds, they understood very clearly, but the reality was they did not have understanding of the situation. Now consider this, Moses had been given this job, and we'll focus on Moses in particular, Aaron, they were accusing Aaron as well, but... But we focus on Moses in particular. He had been given this job by God. As we read the account, we know that he was he was actually called by God to do this. And he was not uh, inclined to as God uh, approached him. But he had been given a responsibility and given this job yet their perception was that he was taking too much upon himself, in a sense that that vanity was the issue. And yet if we look at Numbers a few chapters earlier, what we read in Numbers chapter 12 is that in fact Moses is framed as a a humble man, not one whose problem was, was vanity. We read Numbers chapter twelve in this case when Miriam and, and Aaron challenged him. We see Moses cha- uh, Numbers chapter twelve and verse one. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And so they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. And so we see in this case, in a sense, this was the same problem with Miriam and Aaron, <clears throat> that they lacked understanding. They, what they thought was reality was not. And, and so, as a result, we see here that there's a statement that's made, verse 3, Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Some might say, well, this is because these first five books of the Bible were penned by by Moses, that this was Moses speaking about himself. Uh, That is, if we don't believe the word of God is inspired and is recorded for a reason, and as we do, we would have to take this at face value, that Moses was indeed very, very humble and not a man of of vanity. And and, and yet there was a time in, in his life when that was the problem. And that's the irony here. Although they identified in their own minds, in their understanding, the problem, whether in this case, Miriam and Aaron, or, or later with Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, their, their conception, their idea, their, their notion, was that he was, he was vain. It was a matter of vanity, taking too much upon himself. And, and, and as I said, the reality is, there was a time when that was the case, but not now. I'll, I'll give you, an ex- give you a, a, a scripture to go to, Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, where we read here in verse, uh, we'll begin in verse, uh, let's go to verse 17. When the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers. Again, this is the the account here of of Stephen's uh, speech, and, and he recounts some of the history of their people. And he says, how Pharaoh dealt treacherously, he says in verse 19, with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. Again, this is Acts 7, verse 20 now. At this time, Moses was born and was well pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. So this, there was, there was a a reality, there was truth to the fact that Moses was uh, at a time in his life, he was considered a great man. He was considered a very powerful man. Uh, we read in Josephus of his skill at leading the Egyptian army against the Ethiopians in battle, and it's not written in, in the Bible. And so we we have to we read Josephus and we we read what was written about Moses and uh, and uh, so as to the complete accuracy we we can. We can only uh, conjecture, but that's what uh, Josephus writes about the tradition of of Moses, is that he was a powerful general general in the Egyptian army. Uh, We also see from even some recent archaeology over the past few decades... That the the, uh, the the ruler of Egypt Hatshepsut was her name, who was presumably the pharaoh's daughter mentioned in the Bible, and was a a, a a princess and then a ruler over Egypt for a period of time. We read we can see in archaeology now that she had a, a non royal close confidant, and uh, was he was referred to as a, a chief steward, somebody that held power in her house, but yet was not related to the, the Pharaoh uh, line or family, and this person's name is in the, now in the histories and in archaeology, uh, Sanenmut, and it's, it's interesting to see how even statues exist of this uh, chief steward to Hatshepsut, who is considered very highly and given a, an honor position. Was this uh, Moses that we read about? Um, we don't know for sure. Uh, but uh, certainly, it would fit as per Moses being someone that was raised by this uh, daughter of the Pharaoh, and uh, ultimately had high standing standing in the royal house household. Uh, so, so yes, Moses was a powerful man. He had, you might say, he had the uh, he had every chance to be vain about his position. And in fact, as we We read on, we see verse 22, I'll read that again. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and was mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. Now notice what it says in verse 25, for he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand but they did not understand." Well, ironically, God would deliver them by His hand, but not at this time. It took 40 years of humbling to bring Moses to the point where God could use him. At this time, he certainly could be accused of thinking a lot of himself. But when we come to Numbers, chapter 16, as Korah, Dathan, and Abiram are challenging him, no, this was not a, a man of, of vanity, this was not a proud man, this was a man who had been humbled by four decades, and, uh, and so their understanding of the, of the situation, their understanding of him was not accurate. So let's go back and read what happened here in Numbers chapter 16. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but as the account is written, we read that they had a, a bit of a showdown here, where Moses said, we'll, we'll read here in verse, um, we'll continue in verse 4 of number 16, when Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his, and who is holy, and will cause him to come near to him, that one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. So we'll put it in God's hands. And then you read across the page in verse verse 28. In verse 28, let's back up to verse 23. So the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins so they got away from around the tents of Korah Dathan and Abiram and Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives their sons and their little children and Moses said by this you shall know that the lord has sent me to do all these works for i have not done them of my own will i haven't brought i haven't uh, uh, taken this honor and this responsibility and and, and this obligation upon myself Verse 29, if these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth, and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Well, you know what happened. That's exactly what did happen that the earth it, earth opened up, the ground split apart under them. Verse 32, And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, and all the men with Korah, and with all their goods. So they thought they saw the problem and the solution. But in reality, they did not understand. So this lack of understanding regarding Moses' motivation, his attitude, this lack of understanding impacted their ability to grow, their ability to to actually actually exercise their part in God's plan for them. You see, their ability to grow and be part of his kingdom in the in the, the promised land, of his new nation that God was was beginning to build through Israel. It was sabotage because of their lack of understanding. They heard the promises of what the future held in the land of Palestine, and yet they would not be part of it. It's such a simple concept, really, but it's a, it's a critical ingredient for our growth, our continued growth, our success in God's plan. We cannot grow in character and in even responsibility and opportunity. We cannot grow unless we grow in understanding. We cannot grow closer to God unless we grow in understanding and and if we lack understanding we undermine our or sabotage our growth as well. Acts chapter two Acts chapter two when God began to call people here, we see that understanding was a critical part of his calling. And, and we see it in two parts, because as we begin Acts chapter 2, we read of the day of Pentecost and how God's Spirit filled the room, filled these, these, these individuals, and we see verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And I think it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting pairing here. It's an interesting parallel, because on the one hand, verses 5 through 12 and 13, they, they actually show us, and, and uh, they give us the account of all these individuals from different places: Parthia, Media, uh, Elam, uh, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and Libya. They, we have all these people from all these different lands who were given what? They were given understanding. A physical understanding so that the sound waves that were being transmitted by peter as he was speaking was understood those sound waves were understood by these individuals so it was a physical understanding that that actually was the first part of what happened, but that was only part of it because on, the parallel to that was a spiritual understanding, and it was only with that spiritual understanding that they were able to then be, be become start their their journey to draw closer to God. We see well, let's let's read it. We see here verse 14. Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Now we come down to verse 22 and 23, and we get to the core of the matter here. And remember, many of these individuals would have been in Jerusalem at the time that Jesus Christ was crucified. And potentially, many of these individuals would have put their, their hand to his death. They would have shouted, crucify him, crucify him. And, and yet, today, we see that their understanding was very different. So something happened in between that time when they were putting, they were party to his death and today. And so we see verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death. So he accused the audience in front of him as as being party to the death, and the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Those are strong words. And they could have said, no, I, I wasn't part of it. I was on the fringes. Or I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't understand. Or I, maybe I wasn't exactly right there. I was in the city. or But they, they didn't argue the point, did they? Instead, <clears throat> we see here across the page, we read again, verse 36 is... He's echoing the same words. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And look what we read next. Verse 37. When they heard this, they understood. Now, it doesn't say they understood. It says something else. In fact, it says something that's, that's more powerful. It says, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted they had understanding. They had knowledge, understanding paired together with conviction. They had the gift of belief. And they had, so they were, they were, they were they had an understanding that gripped them. And so we see verse 37. Men and brethren, they said, as they were cut to the heart, they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we see, understanding was critical as a starting point for them to be able to grow, wasn't it? Understanding had physical understanding, they had to be able to grasp the, the words, but they also had to be able to spiritually grasp reality. What... what reality was. And as God was calling them, giving them the gift of belief, of conviction, they responded by seeking more understanding, because they said, men and brethren, what do we do? They wanted more understanding. You know, in the same part of the Bible, a few chapters later, in chapter 8, here of, of Acts, we see an example that I think drives the lesson home. We see Simon Magus, who had knowledge, but not understanding. And, and he was not seeking understanding. Instead he was seeking we read power. He was seeking power. So we see verse <clears throat> uh, verse uh, 16 and 17. we read about how the Holy Spirit had not been uh, uh, poured out upon these individuals who had been baptized, but yet we see Peter and John came down and they laid hands on them and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They laid hands on them, verse 17, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. So he, he saw something, but he didn't have understanding. And as we read throughout the rest of the account, Peter rebuked him and said, Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You had a wrong understanding of, of reality, of what's happening, of what's happening here. So his lack of understanding, his lack of, of comprehension allowed him to focus on the wrong thing. Hebrews chapter four, Hebrews chapter four we read how important it is that understanding, discernment, is exercised by us. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 11, "...let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit." God's word is, is meant to give us understanding. And when we read, paired with God's spirit, working with our mind... We have understanding, and then we have conviction he says, and of joints and marrow, verse twelve, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, and as we go down through chapter five, we read then in verse uh, twelve and thirteen and fourteen, the challenge that we 're given to have our senses verse fourteen exercised by reason of use to discern good and evil. Understanding of the things of God requires the the ability to learn, to know, to allow the, the through our our humility before God and our submission to God to then develop belief, conviction, and to apply what we learn. In other words, we're talking about having understanding. And this is why the church Really throughout the centuries, god the pattern that God gives to us in his word is a pattern of learning and understanding all through the years of the church and even back to the time of ancient Israel where he, he wanted people to understand the, the purpose for Israel, for the kings of Israel. They were to understand the, the law of God, to write a copy of the law of God. So they could be able to understand how to apply God's will for the people that were under their hand. So this is why it's important for us to, to continue to grow in understanding. This is why it's important to take the time to, to study the Bible... And to, and to read the literature, read the, the messages that are developed by the church, that are produced. To take part in all the educational opportunities we can in the church. Give a, a watch to the telecasts that are produced so we can continue to review and grow and, and develop and rehearse an understanding. Because if we stop growing in understanding, well, we, we stop growing. And, and we wither spiritually. You know what happens to a plant when it begins to lose its health and it lose its strength and it withers? It becomes vulnerable to disease. It becomes vulnerable to insects. It becomes an easy target for, for, for fungus and, as, as I said, insects. And it dies. And we're in the same position. 1 Peter chapter 5 1 Peter chapter 5. In that sense, we're no different because we have an enemy that wants to devour us, that wants us to die spiritually. Therefore, we, we read verse 6 of 1 of Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. So if we submit ourselves to God and continue to learn, to grow in understanding. He says, then we will be under his care. He will care for us. Be sober then, verse 8, be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So we are. it behooves us then to grow in understanding and not weaken so we can be then devoured by, by Satan the devil. Now there's a second condition outlined in the Bible that can stifle growth. In this situation, the understanding is there, but there's something else. Let's go back to an example here of Solomon, King Solomon in 2 Chronicles chapter 1. just want to look to Solomon as, a, as an example, and we could, we could look at many different examples of this characteristic, this condition. I'm just looking at, uh, at Solomon as an example. 2 Chronicles chapter 1. This is always such an encouraging part of the Bible to read, because we read of a man who desired wisdom and understanding. It was given understanding by God. And so we we read here how Solomon was... uh, uh, God appeared to Solomon here, verse 7... And he said, "'Ask, what shall I give you?' And Solomon said to God, verse 8, "'You have shown great mercy to David my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, let your promise to David my father be established, for you have made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude.'" And here's what he says, "'Now give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can judge this great people of yours?' And that's what God did. He gave him wisdom. He gave him understanding. His, his heart was right. He was enthusiastic in his relationship with God. And, and this is what we read in the early days of King Solomon. But as we, we read his, his sad story, we see that that changed over the course of time. 2 Chronicles chapter 8. I think we can see through some of the snapshots of King Solomon's life how he began to lose understanding. And the reason he began to lose understanding because, was because he didn't have roots. He wasn't rooted. He wasn't, he wasn't bound to the ways of God. He, wasn't, he didn't sink his teeth into or sink his roots into the ways of God. He allowed himself to have that part of the process stymied, and as a result, his growth ultimately discontinued, and uh, he truly fell away from faithfulness towards God to uh, looking towards foreign gods and foreign wives. And we read a, a snapshot of that here when we read in Second Chronicles chapter 11, I'm sorry, Second Chronicles chapter 8 and verse 11, that Solomon brought the daughter of Pharaoh, up from the city of David, to the house that he had built for her. For he said, My wife shall not dwell in the house of David, king of Israel, because the places to which the ark of the Lord has come are holy. And then Solomon offered burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar, we see here, of the Lord which he built before his vestibule. So he he realized as he began to marry other other wives in this case this wife presumably through an alliance with uh, with with Egypt he began to marry these foreign wives and he recognized that it wasn't even appropriate to bring them near to that which was considered holy because they worshiped other gods and so we see his his ability to see and that it wasn't right to have this Pagan princess, this uh, uh, this individual who had worshipped the false gods of Egypt uh, wasn't. We recognize it wasn't right to have her there, but yet he didn't see that he was beginning to place trust in foreign alliances as well as committing adultery. Frankly, we go to Second Chronicles. Well, let's go to First Kings because then it it takes us to the end of the story. First Kings chapter eleven. And we read verse 1. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel. So here's the understanding. At the beginning of his days, he was given understanding, but he he didn't place roots. He didn't sink roots so that he would remain faithful and he would remain locked into the ways of God. Because God's word very specifically said, Don't do what he did. And so it says, verse, verse 2, From the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor are they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. God, so often, he gives us instructions, but then he gives us the reason why. Those instructions are important. And in this case, he said, Look, if you do this... Here's what will happen. And indeed, as always, that's what happened. And Solomon's heart turned away from God. So he had the understanding again, but he didn't sink roots. He didn't sink roots. He was very excited about God's way, about God's involvement in his life, but something happened along the way, and he didn't endure. Roots are, are very important. You know, if you've ever planted uh, plants yourself, maybe you planted a, a tree you know now not talking about a seed but a, but a, uh, some type of a plant, a vine that has some roots to it. You know that you have to actually um, especially if it 's a cutting, you have to apply rooting hormone to try to encourage that plant to to, to grow to to sink roots because if it doesn 't. It's, it's not going to last. I think it's interesting. You can actually, uh, buy, maybe you go to Home Depot or Lowe's or a garden center and you can buy a beautiful looking tree that may be five or six feet tall with a, a nice ball of roots and you can put it in the ground and it actually, it will, will actually look very nice for a period of time. Um, you cannot help, help it to, uh, to actually have those roots be able to spread in the ground by the way you plant it, and yet it will still look good for, it can even look good for a year or, or, or more. But ultimately, unless you prepare the soil, and unless you you set up the plant, you take off the the burlap that's around the ball, for example, and and, uh, help to loosen the ground, and help to provide fertilizer, and help to water it in such a way that the roots go deep into the ground, at some point, if you don't do anything to help it to establish roots, or if you don 't for example, help a cutting uh, of a plant that you want to you want to start if you don 't well, use a rooting hormone of some type so it helps to 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 engender roots if you don 't do things to help to establish roots, it will not grow it's eventually eventually it will it will not grow and it will will die so we have a, a very important principle in in that regard that roots not only understanding but roots are important if the ground is rocky the plant will wither and die if it can't reach into the soil and give and, and get nutrients from the soil you find that even out out west here in the United States where we have very rocky areas and you see a tree growing up on a cliff that tree is looking for for soil that it can actually put its little fingers into to to get some nutrition because it's not going to get it from the rocks Unless it can be able to find that soil in a crevice or in a crack, it won't be able to survive. Grass does the same thing, doesn't it? If you have a sidewalk and, and, uh, and the little cracks, the, the dirt begins to build up, the soil begins to accumulate, what happens? Well, Then you can have a little grass or weeds that will then sink their, uh, themselves and their roots into that little crack and they'll begin to grow because they have established roots. Very, it's it's an obvious issue, but it's so critical and so important, not just for King Solomon, but for us, isn't it? If we do not establish strong roots that are, that sink deep into the Word of God, into His, into His mind, into the understanding of His mind, and so we solidify ourselves and we're tied into it, we're locked into it, then we will wither and die. Ezekiel chapter thirty six. I mean this was this was Israel's problem, wasn't it? Ezekiel chapter thirty-six. <clears throat> Ezekiel thirty-six and verse twenty-six. The characterization of Israel that, that God describes here is a people that was not rooted. Because they had a heart of stone. We'll read verse, verse 20, uh, verse 25, well, verse 24. As we look to the future, he says, I will take you from among the nations. I will gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. So this is a a prophetic view of the future of Israel. He says, I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. And verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. God's spirit was not able to, to, to grow with a heart of stone. We understand with ancient Israel, God was working with them in a particular way, and it was not his spirit was not poured out yet. We we understand that, but yet the point is still clear is that God their heart was, was stony, and so therefore God's way was not able to sink into their heart. And so we see verse twenty seven, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. So the stony ground of their heart prevented them from rooting. And Rock will do that. But you know, persecution, for example, sometimes reveals the depth of roots. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. How do we know if we are, are deeply rooted? Sometimes it takes trials. Sometimes it takes persecution. Sometimes it even takes having to, to face those who would, uh, who would try to, uh, try to push a false doctrine upon us. Doesn't this happen all the time as we face a world that is is full of of, of heresy and confusion? Sometimes even those who have uh, those who have for a period of time they have seemed to embrace God's way, and then uh, the time comes when we find that they have actually turned their back on God's Sabbath days, or His holy days, or His other laws. And they'll try to convince us, oh, you don't have to keep the Sabbath. You don't have to keep God's holy days. Those are done away with. And they'll have different arguments, that they will try to undermine our faith in God and His ways, His laws, His statutes. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we're told here, as God talks about the importance of, of strengthening the body. We're, we're talking about understanding, and we're talking about roots here. And so he says he gives, verse 11, he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors, and teachers. What's the purpose of these different offices? It's to strengthen understanding and help help. The, the body to establish deep roots. And he says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. In other words, for the growth of the body of Christ. Without understanding, and a continued uh, uh, growth in understanding, then growth on the whole is thwarted. Growth on the whole is stymied. And ultimately, with no growth, there's death. Likewise, without roots, establishing roots, there is no growth. Without roots, even what looks like good fruits then will diminish and will fail. He says, "...till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." Verse 14, "...that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine." It almost reminds me—you might—you might, you might say—of false doctrines, like you know, doctrinal tumbleweeds, doctrinal tumbleweeds that blow by, and they can distract us. We can look at them and say, "Wow, that's an interesting doctrinal twist," and a doctrinal tumbleweed rolls on by. And and so the challenge is: Are we? The, do the winds of doctrine do they blow us away because we're not rooted? Or do they actually help us to strengthen us by, by sinking more deeply into God's Word and saying, hold on, let me check that up. And oftentimes that's all it takes, frankly, is, is actually reading what God's Word says. Because so often, false doctrines, heresies, they don't rely on an accurate even reading of God's Word. But they rely on somebody's description of what the Bible says. And And when you actually read the Bible, you read the context of the Bible, you realize that 's not right, and you 're not swayed because because god 's word is it, it actually explains itself as we read it 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 reveals through all the scriptures the mind of God and we read, we read some we, we are faced with someone explaining some scripture in the light. In a light that contradicts the rest of the Word of God, then we realize that's not, that's not correct. We, we can read all the Scriptures in the Sabbath, if it might be, or the Law of God. And when one appears to be contrary, and we, then we read, we, we actually look at it. Don't take their word for it. But instead, we look to God's word, we read the context, we read all the scriptures, and we say, oh, this is what this means, this is how to understand this, and we become more deeply rooted, because the next time that we're challenged on a similar issue, we say, no, I've been there before, I've seen that doctrinal tumbleweed roll by before, and I'm not interested, I'm not buying what you're selling, so no thank you, um, it's, I'm, I'm not going to be influenced by that. But it takes time, and it takes roots. So we see that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. That is our goal, to grow, to continue growing, to show good fruit through good growth. The Psalms, The Psalms give us a number of of, of analogies about uh, trees being planted by waters that provide good growth, psalm one we sing psalm one our most familiar song in the hymnal, "Blessed and happy is the man, and right in the middle of that psalm and that song that we sing is this this statement about being a tree, verse three being a tree. "...planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither." So so it's able to sink its roots down into the riverbed... And, and be able to, to have deep, strong roots that tap in to that, that, that wet ground. Even during times when the river is low, when the river is, is not even, in some parts of the Middle East, not flowing at all. There's, there's, there's water, there's moisture underneath, the, in that riverbed, underneath the river, underneath the soil that that tree, that tree can be able to, to use to, to, to grow. So sometimes distress, or even challenges, persecution, uh, false doctrine that gets thrown at us, or, or different types of trials, they can help us to establish deeper roots, and they can likewise help us to grow. Third factor factor that I want to focus on for a, a, mo- a couple of moments then is, is this. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 12. We can also understand this factor that is important regarding our spiritual growth through an agricultural, uh, analogy. Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12. God identified this condition that would prevent growth with the ancient, for the ancient Israelites when he said, Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 28, he said, Observe then, we're jumping into the context, into the the, the flow here, but he says, "...observe and obey all these words which I command you, that it may go well with you and your children after you forever, when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God." And verse 29, "...when the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which go to, you go to possess, and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise." chapter 13 then enunciates in very clear terms ways that those the the ideas of the nations around could influence influence them in other words they were going into an environment you might say that was full of of distractions uh, religious distractions, distractions about uh, ideas about about gods and goddesses, and ways to worship God, that could become a distraction to them and pull them away from the truth about God, who God's wa- who God is and was, what His laws and statutes are. Those you might say those distractions could could turn their head, and they did. They they did. You, realize, you read verses 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and all the way through this chapter about being enticed to serve and snares to serve other, ground, other, other gods. So the third factor is, is simply this. The first factor that can, the first condition that can prevent growth is a lack of understanding and a lack of continuing understanding and growing understanding. A second factor is, you might say, no roots because the ground is, 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 is stony, and it's not, it's not uh, a ground that will will grow well, and that you can sink roots into. And the third is an environment that can stifle and choke our growth. And this is what God was warning Israel ab- about. Don't be influenced by the, you might say, the above-ground environment. The roots are the below-ground environment, but the environment above-ground is is just as important. If you're trying to grow a tomato plant, and when it's very young, you allow the weeds to grow up all around it so it doesn't get any sunlight, the, 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 the nutrients in the soil, the moisture in the soil is drawn away from the tomato plant and into the weeds, then the tomato plant won't grow, as long as there are all those weeds choking it out. And the same thing God was saying would happen with them, that they would be choked out if they had had they were prone to follow the distractions around them revelation chapter three it 's a lesson for us today isn 't it? because we understand that the da- this danger to spiritual growth is a challenge for our time isn 't it? if we, we can be distracted by the all the, the environment around us can 't we We can be distracted by by physical things. We live in such a time of prosperity. We live in such a time of, of whether it's media or whether it's just physical things. We can constantly be pulled in directions away from a focus on, on God. We can be pulled in directions that, that actually undermine our, our faithfulness to God because of all the physical world that we live in. We can, but we can also be distracted by, as I was mentioning before, even by false doctrine, by doctrines that float around, distract our attention, say, well, that's interesting, that's a new thing, I haven't heard that before. And we can be distracted by, by, by heresies and false doctrines, away from the truth that was revealed and uh, it's clear in God's scriptures, and and the thing is that that this danger is is actually connected to our time through the scriptures prophetically. We, we, this is what we read in Revelation chapter three when we read about the last era of the of the Church of God. We read verse 14 of Revelation chapter 3, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, now, so what is it talking about here? He's saying the last era of the church of God. We recognize we want to be dedicated to God's work. We want to walk through open doors. We want to have brotherly love for, towards each other. We want to have all those attributes of the Philadelphian era, but a warning is given about our time, and we have to take that warning to heart if we are to be wise. And the warning applies directly to the distractions and confusion and misunderstanding of where we are, what's the reality that we're dealing with. From God's perspective, the reality of the last era of, of God's church is this: He says, "I am rich." You say the impression of the one who is being warned is that they are rich, wealthy, have need of nothing, everything's good, I'm okay, everything. I don't, I'm not. In other words, this this mindset would not see the need to grow would not see the need to, to, to actually sink deeper roots, because the idea is, my roots are good. My understanding is good. I, I'm okay. And so he says, you, uh, I am rich, I have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know... Oh, what are we talking about here? We're talking about, again, a, a misunderstanding, a lack of understanding about reality that has to do with the first condition that prevents growth but in this third condition there's there, there's a, a stifling that is going on of of uh, so that there's not a, a true understanding of and that there's really not a a, a growth of of even the person's uh, spiritual uh, insight here, because it says, again, I keep coming back to the verse 17. You say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich. See what you what you need. You need gold. You need that golden character that is developed over time with a focus on God and a humility that there is, that there is a need that you may be rich in white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eyes of that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. So does that get our attention? Does that does that worry us? Does that concern us that we are not ta- that we, whether we are taking this warning to heart? It should, it, it should. You know, we can be deceived into thinking that we are okay and that we can establish our independence uh, because we we know the things of God and. Therefore we can be easily uh we can easily come to the conclusion that everything is okay when we may be being choked out by our growth may be choked by the distractions and the you might say the the thorns around us and as a result we don't bear good fruit anymore. Galatians chapter 5 gives us the fruit of God's spirit. And we have to ask, are we bearing the fruit of God's Spirit? Galatians chapter 5, we'll just read that briefly here. Galatians chapter 5, and verse <clears throat> uh, begin in verse uh, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such is, there is no law." We ask ourselves, are we bearing these good fruits? If we are not, and we, we answer the question honestly, and we say, well, you know what? Maybe in this fruit, I'm, I'm not so prolific. Maybe in that fruit, the fruit is pretty small, it's pretty measly, what's happening? Our, our growth is being thwarted, isn't it? We're, so, there's a condition in which we exist where our growth is not, is, is not happening. Instead, we're withering. And so we have to then step back and say, why are we falling prey to conditions that prevent growth? Let's go to Matthew chapter 13. And let's, let's t- pull this all together. Matthew chapter 13 Gives us a parable. Christ gives a parable. And as we read the parable, I hope you can see that I didn't pull these three conditions out of thin air. They're conditions that that actually are given to us by Christ through this parable. And they are conditions that prevent growth. Let's read the parable. He says, verse 4, he spoke many things, verse 3 to them in parables. This is Matthew 13. He spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Okay. Some fell on stony places, where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up, because they had no depth of earth, but when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them, but others fell on good ground, and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, we read the explanation of it across the page. And we read verse 18 then. Therefore, he says to his disciples, Therefore, he says, hear the parable of the sower, as he begins to to explain. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside now sometimes as we read this parable we can actually very quickly put ourselves in the spot of the number four position and we can say well i'm on good ground here i'm look i'm Doing what I should be doing. I'm going to church. Um, I believe in God's Sabbath day is holy days. I tithe. Um, I'm a pretty good person. I think I'm doing everything okay. So, we don't even, we don't even, uh, apply. We don't even think about the first three areas because we think we're past it. Because we think it doesn't apply to us. Oh, that's only very early in our calling and we, we we simply put that the category here of the of the this first part of the analogy the parable I should say we put it away from us and we don't learn from it because we think it doesn't apply instead of drawing the principle and saying hmm first of all when someone hears the word and is and, and receives it with joy what is the pro- how long is that how long does that joy uh, go on it, does that is it defined here as a week? Two weeks? A year? Two years? It's not defined, is it? The main issue here is that there's understanding, and without understanding, at some point, and, and likely it's, it's not too, too long, but we don't know. There's no time frame specifically put on this. But at some point, this one, look at it again verse 19. Someone who hears the word of the kingdom, what's the problem? They do not understand it. So, when God works with somebody, He gives them understanding, yes, but at some point we see those who fall away, what happens? They lose understanding. Understanding, in other words, having understanding is, is key to us. Even if we are in category four, which we hope we are on the good ground, we still need to recognize the importance of understanding and growing in understanding. Continuing to grow in understanding. If we do not, in essence, what happens is we put ourselves into that category of those who, without having understanding and growing understanding, really God's word never really it, it, it never really uh, took root and never really prospered with them. So I hope you understand what I'm talking about here. We're, we're drawing understanding from the par- from this parable that 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 we can use for our own benefit to warn us against withering and dying as happened with these, these different categories. Let's go to the second category. He says, verse 20, But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who uh, hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. I'm sorry, inadvertently uh, referred to that a moment ago in in, in conjunction with the, the first one, but uh, very clearly... Well, the first category is, has to do with understanding, and the wicked one coming and snatching away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. So, uh, we've talked about that. Let's go to the second one then, verse 20. He who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word, and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. What is the while? Again, is that A week? Is that one month? Is that one year? Or is that five years? Is that ten years? It just says a while. So we can only, only for our own benefit, we can only take the principle and say, wow, how would this apply to us? Am I rooted in God's way? In God's eyes, uh, time is very different than ours. When we're young, a little while. When we're, when we're a child, a little while is 15 minutes. But when we're older, when we're 55, 60, 65, a while could be a year. And so, uh, point being, we have, to, we have to establish roots. It says, this category endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So this is why I describe this, category, this the importance of the category of being rooted as that as being, when persecution comes, for some, the roots go deeper. Others, the roots show that they haven't been even established at all. And they become a tumbleweed. They, they're pulled up. They, they die. They wither. Let's just hold your hold your finger in this place in, in here in Matthew thirteen, and let's read Colossians, Colossians chapter one, beginning in verse nine, we read about the understanding part that we were just Focusing on, but verse nine. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And and you could read verses ten and eleven, and through this this chapter, it it reiterates this the importance in terms of our destiny of growing in understanding to become closer to Christ, like Christ, and 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 part of His body. We, in chapter two we read about the establishment of roots. Chapter 2, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as you have not seen my face in the flesh. He says, verse 2, That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, know what it says, verse 7, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving, growing, abounding, producing fruit because of being well rooted in in him and well established in his in, in, in the faith let's go back to Matthew chapter 13 Matthew 13 and and then we continue verse 22. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. So apparently for a period of time, he is fruitful because you can only become unfruitful if you are fruitful, right? So again, we're talking about a period of time and in terms of God's calling and working with people and then seeing some who, who actually... Answer and and then are, are 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 chosen and are faithful to that calling. We see that there are uh, we, we see that there are different different individuals and in how they how they react over a period of time. But for our purposes specifically today, I just want to challenge all of us, to think about the lesson we can specifically learn from this category, which is the, the challenge of dealing with distractions, whether they be physical, or we certainly can apply it to the spiritual as well. Are we going to do we put ourselves into this category by be becoming unfruitful because of, of having our fruits and our growth being choked out? From the distractions around us, whether physical or whether whether spiritual. This is our this is our challenge. Back to Colossians chapter two, if you want to just hold your finger again, Matthew thirteen, and we'll we will go back one more time to Colossians chapter two. Because this very theme is picked up back where we were in Colossians two. Colossians chapter two, we read to verse 7 Let's read verse 8. So he says, "...beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit." What is he talking about? He's talking about getting distracted by heresy, by deception. So he says, "...according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ." For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. We don't need to go after heresy. We don't need all the distractions of this world. We we need to do what we can, and a constant battle is to simplify our lives so we're not caught up in the distractions of the world around us. It's a constant challenge. It's a constant battle. But that is our our position. That's our responsibility. That's what we need to do. So we can be able to to become focused, not be distracted, both by the physical things of the world or even the, the spiritual confusion that exists in our, our world. Back to Matthew chapter 13, where we'll then wind it up. We see, instead, we see those who receive Uh, Those people who are characterized by this part of the parable is what we want. This is our goal. He says, verse 23, "...he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it." Talked about that again and again. It says, "...understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some one hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So we can have confidence that God knows what He's doing and that He has planted us on good and nourishing ground if we will do our our part. And if we will look to Him, if we will do our part, ask Him to help us become more rooted in His Word, seek understanding, be like a, a, a Solomon in a spiritual way that we want to understand God's way, His Word, how it applies to us, and what we should do on a daily basis. Ask Him to inspire us in, in how to apply God's Word to our lives to our, our teaching our children, to the example that we provide to those around us, and be rooted and be, be not be able to be, to be swayed because we're so well-rooted in God's Word that we can be able to withstand the storms of false doctrine or trials or persecution. Let's go to Luke chapter 8, and I, I want to conclude in Luke chapter 8. It's the same parable, but there's a specific way that Luke uh, refers to the end of the parable. And I want to conclude with with this. Luke chapter 8, we read here in the explanation that is recorded in Luke of the same different categories. And I would say the same different challenges and reminders for us. But he says, verse 14 the ones who fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. And, and here's what we would want to be our, our epithet, you might say. Verse 15, But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, a heart that is, is, is honorable and wholehearted in seeking God's way, and God's word, submitting ourselves to Him, and with integrity, and with with a, a zealous heart, seeking God's way. He says, those with a noble and good heart, keep it, and bear fruit with patience. Over the long term, for the whole race, to the end, to the last day, and the, our last breath, those are the ones that are depicted. Those are the ones that are pictured by these ones who fell on good ground. Do we listen and learn? Do we, do we grow in understanding continually? Do we solidly cement ourselves to the bedrock of the fundamental doctrines of the truth with God's Spirit helping and strengthening us and guiding us? Will we discipline ourselves Through God's help, through God's spirit, will we discipline ourselves not to become distracted by the cares of this world? If we will, and if we do, we will ensure that our description is that last part of the parable as we read here in verse 15 of Luke chapter 8 again. The ones that fell on the good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and good heart... Keep it and bear fruit with patience. Let that be our description.